0: I want to talk to you about the reignite the fire. I want us to talk about how important it is, is that we reignite what God wants to be able to do, that revival fire within our lives. This church is 95 years old. And over the years, we had so many different ministries that God has um, Uh, relaunch relaunch, and God has reignited in ministry and we see some marvelous moves of God but I want to talk about maintaining those moves In, in the Old Testament Nehemiah is a big part of a reigniting the work of God's kingdom. And here's a question that I really want to pose to you. Can we reignite a revival fire that will not go out? You know, we've seen revivals come and go and come and go. And and you know, sometimes what happens is like, well, even recently with this past six months, how many of you came to the place that you took a few weeks to remember? Well, wow, I really miss being a part of an in-house worship service. Well, this one thing I really do know is that we all do miss that here at Chandler First. I can't wait for us in, in coming together. But I wonder how long it took. For, for you to realize, well, I really do miss that. And and I wonder how long it took in some of those years gone by when there was those great moves of God within the church. And all of a sudden, was it immediately that you realized, wow, it's not as far as it once was? Or, or was it gradually that it happened? <laughs> but here's one thing that uh, I want us to know is, why do revival fires go out? I asked that question. And, and remember, sadly, though, but remember that there has not been a revival fire in the history of humanity that actually lasted. Think of the revival fires of um, Nineveh. Now this is of of Noah. I mean, not Noah of Jonah, and when he went to Nineveh, and and that that revival there lasted one or two generations, but it didn't last f- forever. And look at Elijah. The amazing work of God that God was doing within His life, and and those revival fires in Elijah's life were had to be encouraging for the people, and it's encouraging to us to read about it. But another thing is that well, they didn't last either, and I don't know that you don't have to look back in the history to see revivals that came and gone and came and gone we see that in in america today And, and the question maybe i want to pose to is that where is there a great revival move of god going on in our land today and if you're anything like me there is a burning a fire burning within us saying lord i so desire A 21st century Pentecostal movement of God and our land in this 21st century. But I truly believe that there is something that has started here at CFA. I hear so many reports that God is moving in people's lives, reigniting that fire of God. And I believe that that we want to see God's reigniting fire. Well, we want to see it last. Our city needs to see a church on fire. There was a story about a pastor got a phone call and and it was he was told that his church was on fire. So he drove to his church. He was standing in the parking lot watching the, the fire company, the hose, the putting water on, on the church. And, and then he noticed beside him his neighbor right next door to the church was standing beside him. And he looked at him and he says, wow, uh, I haven't seen you here before. And his neighbor looked at him and said, well, I haven't seen your f- church on fire before either. Well, the truth is sometimes is that our community needs the sea of people on fire for the kingdom of God. And I don't have all the answers, but this I do know is that that reigniting fire of God cannot be inherited. It's not passed on from, from father to child. No, it's influence, but it's up to that child. It's not passed on from from one pastor to another as as a church of our size and our age have gone for 95 years. It is that generation which we are in right now are responsible for that, that rejuvenating, reigniting fire of God. Every generation has to make their own decision. So today, I want us to look at Nehemiah. And I and I wanted to see how he was a part of reigniting a revival fire in the people there in Jerusalem. If you go to Nehemiah, the first chapter, you see that Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king now of Persia. Now a cupbearer is well, he's a part of a security team. What he did is that he tested the food. And drank of whatever he was drinking before the king did to be sure it was safe. Now, Nehemiah probably ate pretty good. But if someone was trying to poison the king, Nehemiah would be the first who would be poisoned. And he was a Jew. And word came to him that some exiles were going back to Jerusalem to be a part of restoring that city, because the walls have been torn down, broken down. And, and when Nehemiah heard that, they were still down, it broke his heart, and he was humbled by it. In fact, we're told that he wept, he prayed, and he fasted for four months four months. That's 120 days. And after that time of prayer, God opened the opportunity for Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem to be able to rebuild those walls. Now, there's a whole storyline, another complete sermon about what happened here, how the it was how outsiders opposed it, rose up against them. There was times that that the Israelites were rebuilding that wall with 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 a tool to rebuild uh, with one hand and a sword in the other. But it only took them fifty two days. That was miraculous, remarkable miracle of God. And, and you might think that that mission was accomplished. But Nehemiah, he knew the mission was not accomplished because Nehemiah knew that the problem wasn't the wall. You see, there was a bigger issue. It's it's like when China built that great wall of China. It's it's what a thousand plus miles and they say it is the only man made object that you could see from space. Why did they build it? Well, there were these nomads who would come in, and, well, barbarians who would come in and from the north and invade them. So they built this awesome wall that was, well, too big to climb, definitely too big to knock over, and it was too deep to be able to dig under. Yet, 100 years after it was completed, China was invaded three times by these people. Now, how in the world did they do it? See, the barbarians, they simply um, bribed the gatekeeper, and he let them in. You see, no matter how big and strong and high and, and that wall could not be toppled over, is that that wall was weak by the people who were watching over it. Nehemiah knew that no wall could secure the future of a nation. And what was really needed to be repaired was the spiritual life of these people. Many of these exiles, they returned to Jerusalem, but they didn't return to God. And the real threat was not on the outside of these walls, it was the inside of the heart of these people. And that's why we see at times why revivals, they don't always last. Because it's not the attack upon the church. It is the heart of the people in the church who were not maintaining it. Take note of that, my friend. Because sometimes we live in this world that is so caught up and blaming everybody else. No one has taken the responsibility of anything that is going on. Thus, the fire goes out because we allow it to happen. We allow it to happen through neglect. In times for churches, through the neglect, not having everything look good, it's having the people not acting good. Revival fires don't last, my friend, by accident. They last because you purposely intend them to, well to extend, to last. And here's what I know, and the reason why God has laid this message upon my heart is that I see within the body of Christ that there's a heart desire to reignite that revival fire within them and within the body of Christ. Satan wants to just blow it out, but there is no reason for that fire to be able, well, the last just two days, or two weeks, or two months, two years, or ten years, ever how long, if we desire that to happen. Now, let's get into this, because Nehemiah gives us four reasons, well, four ways to reignite that, that Revival fire within the body of Christ. And church, we need this so much. So so the very first thing is to keep a burning hunger for God's word. Because we have to have fuel to that fire. Nehemiah says this in Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 3 and verse 5. Listen to this. All, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand it. He read it aloud. Now listen to this. From daybreak, soon as the sun began to come up, till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate, in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively of the book of the law. Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Did you keep the reverence of, of what was being said here is they had that reverence of that word of God being declared. And how do we create such a hunger to hear that word of God today? Well, there are a couple ways. One of them is that the spirit of commitment. There, these people came together at daybreak, all of them, all the men and women who could understand. And they came together to listen to that word of God and being read, being declared before them. And what they did is that they were from that early morning until noon, they lost, well, the consciousness of, well, time when they was listening to the word of God. I love that type of passion. I believe God is wanting people to be able to have that hunger for God. But see, what happens sometimes in this amazing Word of God in which we have before us is that our lives have become so busy that we try to just squeeze it in when we can. What we actually do is that we give God the leftovers. He wants us to be able to give Him the best time that we have. There was a man in the church named Ray Hewer. He he used to come and and clean um, all of our trash cans out, change all of our filters or lights that needed to be changed. He was 87 years old. This man was amazing. I knew where he was on our campus because I could hear him singing the old hymns. But this I knew about him is that when he woke up in the morning, he opened the word of God. And he told me, you know, pastor, there were times in which I forgot to eat breakfast and I forgot to eat lunch. He just read all through the morning the word of God. There was that commitment in which he had. Then we secondly, we need to have create that hunger for God is that spirit of expectations. Now, we need to know that when we open the word of God, something's going to happen. And maybe we think that, well, since God has stopped writing, God has stopped speaking. And that is a very dangerous conclusion. This Word of God speaks to us. Every single day. And when we open that up, there needs to be that heart of expectations. And he wants us to have that heart to be able to receive from him. You know, there are some people that that every morning, as soon as they wake up, they check their emails. They check their Facebook. they, They check if they got any messages sent to them, any text messages. And they do the same when they go to bed. Listen, folks, God has some good news for us. Your Heavenly Father has sent you a love letter. He's telling you how much he loves you. He's telling how much he has for you, what he wants to do in your life, how much you mean to him. See, the second way in which we could reignite those revival fires in our lives, Nehemiah says, keep honoring God With passionate worship. And Nehemiah 8, 6 says this. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded. Amen. Amen. They had bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Wow. Now that sounds like real passion to me. And, and, and what's amazing to me is, is that some people think, well, let's don't get too emotional here. That sounds pretty emotional to, to me, that these people, they raise their hands and then they fell down their face to the ground. It is amazing to me how sometimes we work so hard not to express our worship, but to control our worship to subdue it, to sustain it, so that, well, we won't get too passionate about that. But here's what Nehemiah says in chapter 9, verse 4, which he says, They came, cried out with a loud voice um, to the Lord their God. They cried out with a loud voice. There was there was a, uh, a missionary telling me that when he went to Cuba, that it was well they couldn't one they couldn't have just a uh, announced a open air meeting they just had to let the people know and show up at this meeting, and he drove up it was a rainy day, he drove up to this empty field, he he walked there and he could. Well, he saw the people on the stage leading in worship, but he couldn't hear them because the people who were standing in mud up over their ankles were singing so loud that they couldn't hear the worshipers on stage. There was that passion. They cried out with a loud voice. Verse 5 tells us to stand up and praise the Lord. Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be the glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. And then verse 6 continues to say, You alone, are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Hear what blows out that fire of God in people's lives. Sometimes, some people think that, well, If I don't feel like going to church and I and I have well just have a bad attitude, it probably is just good that I stay home and because it's not gonna do me any good and it's definitely not gonna do people around me any good. You know, that's a sad way to think. Maybe what we should be doing in reigniting that fire of God in our lives, if I have a bad attitude and I don't feel like going to church, I go anyway. Because I just might have an encounter with God. Now, you know why I believe this? I believe this because when the body of Christ begins to worship God, God shows up. Listen to Psalms 89, verse 15. Happy. Hmm. Happy are the people who know how to praise you, Lord. Let them live in the light of your presence. What that is saying is that there is that joy that we have in worshiping the Lord because we are recognizing the presence of a holy God. Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, when the unbeliever comes in and he falls down on his face, he says, my, the preaching is good in this place. No, he didn't say that at all. Or the people, did they say, boy, those people really surely could sing. Well, that wasn't said either. What the unbeliever recognized is what happened was when they came in and they fell down on their face, they said, surely God is in this place. Place. The unbeliever could recognize the presence of God. That atmospheric change that God brings about when the people raise their voices and sing unto Him. That's why that Psalm says, Sing hymns and songs one to the other. Let's encourage each other in worshiping the Lord. There's nothing that revives us like knowing God is with us. The third thing in reigniting that revival fire is to keep humbling yourself by being honest with God. Nehemiah said this. He said, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting um, dust on their heads. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm asking you that when you would come in to church this, the, on the 20th, I'm asking people to wear their face masks. What I should be saying is maybe on the 20th, let's make it be sackcloth Sunday. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do that. Because then I said, oh, before you can, we're going to have a pile of dirt out there so that you could put the dust of the ground upon your head before you entered in. You know, church, these people came seriously before the Lord. Listen to this again as I read this um, on that second verse. Those of the Israelite descendants had separate themselves from the foreigners. They got alone with the Lord and they stood in their place and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And they stood where they were and read from the book of the law and the, of the Lord their God for, listen, for a quarter of a day and spent another quarter of the day in confession and worshiping the Lord, their God. Half the day was caught up in hearing the word of God being read and then worshiping God and then confessing of their sins and the sins of their ancestors. You see, not only did they worship the Lord, not only did they have the hunger of God in that word, that they also have added to it the confession. Because let me tell you something. Something happens when we come together to worship God. When you are in the presence of an almighty God, your sins are revealed. And it's going to make all the difference what you're going to do with that. Um, Isaiah six tells us what you uh, what happens is that when you're in that presence, you you just can't ignore the sin. You, you're going. You, if you do ignore that sin, you're going to block that flow of God and that presence in your life. Now, this may sound rough for you, but but you really need to hear this. I believe that revival fire is quenched. When confession is not practiced at a regular as a regular discipline, did, did you hear me? That I believe that revival fire could be quenched when we don't have a regular practice of a discipline of confession. You see, they prayed a quarter of their day in prayer, basically confessing their sins before God. God. They said, God, here's our story. You poured out blessings on us, and we basically turned our backs on you. We we won our our own way, and and then the, the sin got into us, and we were in trouble, and we cried out with a loud voice in distress to rescue us, and amazingly, Lord, you did. And then we asked that not only you rescue us, is that you bless us? And you did. And we rejoice for a little while. And then we sin again. And we've been doing that over and over and over again. And we're in this mess now, and it's not your fault. I said all that, well, all that is said in one verse, and that's in verse. Um, Nehemiah 9:33 it says, In all that he has happened, all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Whew. You see, you've got to get to that place of saying, it's not this person's fault and that person's fault, the environment's fault, or my genes, my ancestors' fault. We have to come to the place that it it's out of my own rebelliousness. It's my fault. And God, you've been good. You have been just. You've been faithful. It's not your fault where I am now. And we all got a story, church. You see... Reigniting revival fires are not done by token prayers, but by broken prayers. Psalms 24:18 says, "The Lord is close to those whose hearts are broken or breaking. He rescues those who are hungry and sorry for their sins, or humbly sorry for their friends. If you want to be reignited in that revival fire i want you to know church you gotta keep a humble heart because the only broken heart is big enough for god to dwell in and the fourth and final point is to keep putting god first because that reigniting fire will come if we are serious about it and here's what they did they put it in writing In Nehemiah 9, 38, it says, In the view of all this, we are making a binding agreement putting it in writing, and our leaders and our Levites of the priests are affixing it while it is they are signing off on this. They're sealed to it. See, that binding agreement is a covenant in which they put upon them. Did you know that you make a covenant almost every single day? If you write a check, there's a covenant between you and a bank that you have enough money in that account to cover that check. If you, if you buy a home, there is that covenant in which you have with that mortgage company that you are going to pay that mortgage to retain that home. There is a covenant. In Micah 2, we find several references to this idea that God reveres himself in that covenant-making relationship that he wants with us. See, God's covenant includes grace, and love, and it's expressed by a Hebrew word that's hesed, h-e-s-e-d. That word is defined as the passionately loyal, a deep, never-ending love. That relationship that he wants with us is a deep, lasting, loyal commitment that he has with us. John Oswald writes this, "'Where are you, God?' What sort of God is this? Not only is he trustworthy, but uh, per- persistently trustworthy. Not only loving, but insistingly loving. He was, well, embarrassing himself here, is he? Where's your pride, God? Surely, but, surely those ancient people come to realize that they had not found God, but that God found them because he sought them out passionately loyally deep never-ending love he sought them out you see church here's his word he tells us that i will be their god and they will be my people if they turn their faces towards me and surrender themselves completely You see, he wants to have this covenant relationship with you, my friend. So let's put God.